Hello and welcome to My PGCE, a podcast documenting my journey as a trainee teacher with a special focus on mental health. I am your host, James B. Another week of the PGCE done and dusted. And I would say that despite it being the eighth week of the course, it was actually the first typical week where I spent Monday in university and then Tuesday to Friday in school. And this week, the students were actually in school. The previous week, they'd been sent home to take PCR tests. So yes, at long last, a typical week, and I'll kick straight into an overview. So on Monday morning, before I went to university, I had a meeting with my professional practice tutor, who works closely with my professional mentor and subject mentor at school. And she was a little bit concerned with my progress, mainly the fact that I'd only had one mentor meeting up until that point. So she said that she would send an email to try to ensure that they occur a little more regularly. Then I went into university and the university day was split into two sessions. The first in the morning was about misconceptions. What is a misconception? How do students acquire misconceptions and how can they be addressed? Things like that. And in that first session, my subject tutor responded to a question that I had raised in a previous episode of the podcast. My question was, so this wasn't really to do with misconceptions, but still, it's worth mentioning. The question was, why aren't we given worked examples of lesson plans or model lesson plans in order to use. And her response was that lesson plans vary so greatly from one school to the next that trying to provide just one model or example to work from would be largely futile. And I guess that makes sense. So the upshot seems to be that if you want a more detailed example of a lesson plan to instead ask your school directly so that you can work to their plan. Anyway, at lunchtime, I had an SSLC meeting. That's a staff student liaison committee meeting. I'm the representative for the maths PGCE students. And I've also been made chair of the SSLC. I don't really know what that involves at the moment, but I'll find out in due course, fingers crossed. And during that meeting, we mainly moaned about the presentation of information on the course so far. So often information has been poorly presented in quite a confusing way. So we had a good moan about that. And it seemed like our moans were listened to, which is really nice because I've been in meetings like that before where you could raise really legitimate concerns and the people who are meant to be listening don't really listen or don't really care. 
But on the contrary, in this SLC meeting, I did feel like we were listened to. The afternoon session at university was about problem solving. In particular, what is problem solving and can it be taught? Which was a very interesting session. Okay, Tuesday was a fairly standard day. I did several lesson observations. And then after school, had a meeting with my mentor. Wednesday, however, was pretty far from standard. So Wednesday was a flexible learning day. So the students don't go to their usual lessons and instead have a variety of flexible lessons based around a theme, depending on year. And they undertake these lessons in their form groups. And my form group is a year seven form group. And the year sevens, their theme was safety. So they had a variety of lessons throughout the day on the theme of safety. But also that day, my form tutor was ill. He took a day off sick. So it fell to me to um, do the register in the morning, which I hadn't been expecting, nor did I know how to do it. But it went just fine. I was supported by the head of year. I say supported, so she just showed me how to load up the register on the computer, basically, which was obviously essential. But once the register had been loaded, I pretty much got on with it as best I could. And we also looked through the daily bulletin and just the usual things that we would do in form time, except it was me leading the session. And there was a supply teacher on hand to help out if needed. But thankfully... um. No one burst into flames or anything, so it seemed to go just fine. But then at the end of the day, they had an hour-long form session where they were to review everything they'd learnt on the topic of safety throughout the day. And again, that fell to me. We had a PowerPoint to work our way through, which I'd seen only minutes before the session. But again, it went just fine. I mean, they were in a they were in a funny mood. So I've been told that afternoon teaching can be more difficult than morning teaching at the best of times, let alone on a flexible learning day where all routines have gone completely out the window. So yeah, they were difficult to control and they weren't really in the mood to review what they'd learned. It's not a great way to end a flexible learning day, I don't think, doing a review. But anyway, we did our best. And again, there was a supply teacher on hand to support me and to help control some of these unruly year sevens, although they weren't that unruly. They were lovely, really. Then on Thursday, I did my very first teaching. So this seems to be a real milestone in the course so far. Albeit, I was only leading some starter activities. So I wasn't teaching a full lesson. I was just leading the starter. And that was with a year seven higher set. And then in the next period, I ran the same starter activity with a year eight middle set to compare and contrast. Then on Thursday evening, I met with a teacher from the department who had offered to walk me through her planning process. I'd say I learnt 
at least as much from that conversation with her as I have in any other aspect of the course so far. And on Friday, I led some more starter activities. Again, I did the same thing. I did the starter with the same year seven higher set and then immediately afterwards the same year eight middle set. Then after school, I had another mentor meeting. So I've had a couple of mentor meetings this week just to try and catch up a little bit and to figure out exactly what forms we need to fill in and how and when and why, which is quite the undertaking, to be honest. But I feel we've made real progress. And then after that mentor meeting, it was uh, staff football again, which was really good fun. And I'd been looking forward to all week. It's a really nice way to end the week. And I should say also that I'm recording this episode of the podcast not on Saturday, as usual, but on Sunday. Because yesterday, on Saturday, I had a Math Scholar webinar in the morning, which was very interesting. It was all about using art to teach maths. And here we are now on Sunday, and I'm recording the podcast. So that's the overview. Now, there are three things I want to zoom in on this week. First, something we discussed in university on Monday, the question of whether problem solving can be taught. Now, as usual, the answer is, it depends. It depends on how we define problem solving and how we define teaching. So here's one popular definition of problem solving. Engaging in a task for which the solution method is not known in advance. Now, if that's your definition, and it seems like a good definition, at least on the face of it, if that's your definition, then it may indeed prove difficult to teach problem solving. Because what are you going to teach? If it's the solution method, then you've broken the definition of problem solving. Because if the student knows the solution method in advance, what they're doing is no longer solving a problem, according to this definition. But they must know something. They must be able to relate the problem to something they already know. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to solve it. They may not even be able to identify it as a problem. Suppose the question was, written in an alien language, the student wouldn't have a chance. So even though they don't know the particular solution method for this problem, they must know something in order to get started with it, in order to start sifting through potential solution strategies, distinguishing good ones from bad ones and start making progress towards a solution. They must know something. We could call this prerequisite knowledge their general problem-solving skills. And the question is whether these general problem-solving skills can be taught. Well, why not? Why would you think that they can't be taught? I think it may have something to do with their general nature. 
they've been through so many iterations of abstraction that they no longer resemble any concrete, particular, specific maths problems. They've lost all their surface features and been boiled down to this amorphous, featureless, elusive, somewhat ethereal collection of general problem-solving principles. But we must not forget that those principles were derived ultimately from specific maths problems, from algebra, trigonometry, statistics, whatever it may be. And the solutions to those problems were originally taught by a teacher. And also, the ability to abstract, to identify what's the same, what's important across problems, and to ignore what's different, that skill is also taught. So what am I trying to say here? I'm trying to say that problem solving is perhaps something that students do on their own. But their general problem-solving skills are grounded in something that was originally taught. And the process by which they've arrived at those general problem-solving skills, I've called that process abstraction, that's a skill that, in the first instance, is also taught. So yes, I think problem-solving can be taught or at least that the skills required for problem-solving are ultimately grounded in something that can be taught, and that often is taught. Okay, the second thing I want to zoom in on, and it needs to be zoomed in on because it is a real milestone, is the starter exercises that I led this week. It's my first experience of standing in front of a class and teaching an entire group of students. Now, one thing I've noticed when students do starter exercises is that few of them write down the question. Fewer still write down their working. Most just try to go straight to the answer. And if they can't get straight to the answer, then they usually sit and do very little. I mean, they may be thinking about the question. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt there, but they're making no record of it. So before I started the starter exercises, I explained to the class, this group of year sevens, and subsequently the group of year eights, I explained to them how to do starter exercises. I explained that they must write down the question. They must keep a record of what they're thinking when thinking about the question. So basically, they must write down their working. At the very least. If they get the answer to, then great. But at the very least, I want the question written down and just some small record of what they were thinking about. I explained this to them. And then the very first question in the starter activity was... How do we do starter exercises? So I wanted them basically to write down what I just told them. And most of them, at least in the year seven class, 
not so much in the Year 8 class. But more of them than usual wrote down the question. There was still a fair amount who didn't. And I do think that's just because more often than not, they get really wrapped up in thinking about the question and the time flies and and they just don't write anything down. Bless them. Anyway, so I thought that was a constructive thing to do, although it still didn't get every student doing what I wanted them to. But I guess that's a work in progress. And I had some general feedback from the teacher of the year seven class, who's also the head of department. He said it was smooth and that I looked like a maths teacher. I don't know whether that's a good thing or not, but still, he said I looked like a maths teacher. But also, the starter exercise was too long on that first day. I had 10 questions, and it took me a while to go through the answers. And then he had very little time afterwards to um, introduce the topic of rounding to decimal places. But still, he did a great job in what little time I gave him. The font was also too small for some students to read at the back, so I could kill two birds with one stone here. I could shorten the length of the starter activity and make room to increase the font size of the questions by just reducing the number of questions, which I did for the following day when I again led some starter activities. He thought that I could shorten them even further. So I did six questions as opposed to ten on Friday, but he thought I could reduce it even to four. He also said I could be a bit snappier, inject a bit more energy and pace into my explanations. So that's something I'll try to work on. Now, something else I noticed was that I need to work on my board craft. So it's an interactive whiteboard, and I have very little experience with interactive whiteboards. And I was running through the answers, writing out the working. And then when I stepped back and looked at the whiteboard as a whole, I'd made a right mess. So that's also something that I can work on. But on the whole, it was really positive. There were no disasters. Both the teacher of the year seven class, the head of department, and the teacher of the year eight class, who's my subject mentor, seemed to be pleased. And I think that's more than I could ask for at this early stage. Okay, the third and final thing I would like to zoom in on is that meeting I had with another teacher from the maths department at school. She's one of the other teachers who I observe on the regular basis, and I just love her style. I met with her to talk about her planning process, and it was such a valuable experience, but I'm not going to go into great detail because much of it is particular to my situation and I want I want to keep it a bit more general. But I'm just going to tell you some of the questions that she said I should keep in mind when doing my planning. First and foremost, what do I want to achieve? And of course, my goal as a teacher will be to get my students to learn something. So what do I want them to learn? That's vital. That's the first question I need to consider. 
Also, how far shall I go? How much material in this lesson should I attempt to cover? Another important question. What do I want the students to have written in their book? So their workbook is their record of learning. They'll refer back to it in the future. And I, as the teacher, need to make sure that what's in their workbook is going to be helpful and useful for them in the future. This was part of the rationale behind my starter exercise question about how we do starter exercises. Ensuring we write down the question, write down our working at the very least. So that when we come back to look at it in the future, we've got some context. And we know what we were doing that day. So that was another question she told me to keep in mind. What do I want them to write in their books? So here are some other general pieces of advice she gave me. Plan a whole topic at once, rather than individual lessons. That will give me a greater degree of flexibility. Don't worry about making my own resources. She said the textbooks are great, use them. And to also use Corbett Maths, that was her recommendation. And also to be sure that I reflect on my lessons afterwards. Think about what went well, think about what didn't go well, and to plan for the next lesson accordingly. So yes, I thought that that was some wonderful advice and I just wanted to share it with you. Okay, that's all the zooming in for this week. Now, what about my mental health? There's not a great deal to report. I'd say I'm pretty much in the same mental state, frame of mind or mindset as the previous week and maybe even the week before that. Pretty consistent, I'd say. Although I did have a very minor wobbly on Thursday evening. So I'd done my starter activities on Thursday and I was due to do some more starter activities on Friday. And on Thursday evening, I just had this moment of panic that I wouldn't know what I was doing. And it was weird. It's like my defence mechanisms, just for a moment, had gone offline. And all of this worry and anxiety and dread, I'd describe it as dread almost, just poured in, just for a moment. And then my defence mechanisms came back online and cleared out all of these negative feelings. But I was left with like a residual feeling of dread. Yeah, dread's the best word. Just for a few minutes. It was weird. I don't know what brought that on. I was just sat watching TV. I was watching Squid Game. I mean, that's quite an anxiety-inducing program, so maybe that had something to do with it. On that note, actually, if you find yourself struggling with your mental health, pay close attention to what sort of content you're consuming last thing before going to bed. So I remember a year or so ago now, I was re-watching Breaking Bad, which is a very heavy, very depressing, even anxiety-inducing, but nonetheless very good, TV series. I would watch that in the evening, 
an episode of that in the evening. And then before bed, I always read a novel. I have a novel on the go. And at that time, I was reading H.P. Lovecraft. Horror stories. Cosmic horror, no less. Lovecraft's stories all turn upon the cosmic insignificance of the human race. So yeah, it wasn't a good combo before bedtime. But I didn't really realise it until I stopped. So I think I finished watching Breaking Bad and decided I'd had enough of H.P. Lovecraft because he's not the best writer, to be honest. Amazing ideas, but not the best writer. Yeah, I finished with Breaking Bad and H.P. Lovecraft around about the same time. Went on to watching something more lighthearted and reading something more lighthearted before bedtime. And I think my mood really improved. Now, this is sheer speculation here, but I don't know whether the imagery you have when you sleep, A, can affect your mood throughout the day, it wouldn't surprise me, and B, is influenced by the sort of content you're consuming last thing in the evening before going to bed. Neither of those would surprise me. Anyway, this is fast turning into a ramble. All I was trying to say was that I had this momentary wobbly on Thursday evening, but it soon passed, literally in a matter of minutes, less than that maybe, even less than a minute, once my defence mechanisms had come back online and I felt fine again. Okay, so I think that's a wrap for this week. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please get in touch. Let me know what you thought. I may not do an episode next week because it's half term. So I may not have as much to talk about as usual. That said, it's going to be a very busy half term. I'm doing a teach computing course alongside my maths PGCE because apparently computer science teachers are in very high demand and doing this course will increase my employability. So I'm going to be doing it in several sessions throughout the year and I'll do two of those sessions this half term. And I also have to um, crack on with my maths anxiety essay and just generally do some other work. So if next week I think that I've something worth talking about, then I will do another episode. But otherwise I won't. And I will do an episode the following week after I'm back at school. If you like the episode, please spread the word in person and on social media. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at MyPGCEPod or email MyPGCEPod at gmail.com. Please subscribe, rate and review in your directory of choice. Please also consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash mypgcepod and helping fund both the podcast and my PGCE course. Thank you and talk again soon.